good morning. And uh, welcome all those that are joining us uh, by way of the internet. We appreciate you uh, tuning in uh, this morning. If you're thankful for a fountain uh, that's filled with blood that washes the vilest sinner clean, say amen. 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 Boy, that's, uh, that's a word that the lost and dying world uh, needs to hear uh, more than ever. It's the only hope this country and this world has and ever has had is the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to remind you, somebody told you uh, how to be cleansed. You pay it ahead and you be sharing with others in these days as well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer now. As we do each week, we simply pray for his guidance and his leadership over this service and ever, over every heart and over every life. So let's pray together today. Father, we give you thanks for this another day. Father, it's a gift from you. Lord, uh, we didn't deserve it. Uh, we weren't promised it. But this is the day that you've made, and we're rejoicing in it. And God, we're glad. Thankful for all the opportunities that exist here today in this time. As this church family is gathered together to honor your name and to study your word. And then, Father, to honor you with obedience to that word. Father, that which you call us to do today during a time of invitation. Father, we pray your precious Holy Spirit would speak to us today, your will, individually for every heart in life. We pray for the one who's here, the one who's listening, who stands lost in their sin today. Father, they've never been saved. However the condition, whether they've been in church their whole life or never darkened the door of a church until today or they're just listening in or in a rebroadcast, Father, they stand lost. Father, we pray your precious Holy Spirit that according to your word can only convict he alone of sin righteousness, judgment to come. We pray they'll see the, their sin today, their sinful state, and they'll turn and trust Jesus, what he did upon the cross, and paying for their sin, and they'll bow their self today to his lordship. Father, pray for the believer who stands in need of revival. They're not where they need to be spiritually, where they once were. They can honestly say that there's been a day that they've loved you more than they do today. Father, I pray that they'll turn today. They'll repent. They'll experience your fresh touch upon their life and leave with a renewed commitment to be a doer of your word. Challenge the church today. God, encourage us. And I pray you'll find us faithful in these days, no matter what the uh, political and the cultural temperature is around us. You'll simply find us faithful doing what you've commissioned us and you've called us to do. And might we respond to the call of the Holy Spirit today. God, I pray as we sing this morning, uh, we'll lift our hearts to heaven and magnify the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for he's worthy and he's due all our praise. God, bless this time. Honor it. May you be glorified. It's in Jesus' precious and holy name we ask all these things. And all God's people said, amen. Brother Scott. Let's all stand. Let's just praise the Lord this morning. our blessed Redeemer, sing over His wonderful love proclaim. Hail Him, hail Him, highest archangels in glory, strength and honor give to His holy name. Like a shepherd, Jesus will guard His children. Praise Him, praise Him, tell of His excellent greatness. Praise Him, praise Him. 
be seated. You pray as Butch comes and sings for us this morning.
Turn with me this morning, please, uh, to the Old Testament book of Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 1, we'll begin to read in verse number 1. Uh, we continue our study. We started uh, many weeks ago, a study through the Minor Prophets. This morning we're in the book of Zechariah chapter 1, verse 1. And this morning I want to speak to you on this subject, a new beginning in Christ. A new beginning in Christ. Zechariah chapter 1, we'll begin to read in verse 1. I'll invite you to stand, all those that can and are able in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's Word. We're in the Old Testament book of Zechariah chapter 1, begin to read in verse number 1. The Bible says these words. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Ido, the prophet, saying, the Lord has been very angry with your fathers. Therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets preached, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Turn now from your evil ways and your evil deeds. But they did not hear nor heed me, says the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? Yet surely my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? Let's pray together. Father, we ask your spirit would challenge us and speak to us today. And God, again, as we pray each week, if there's one here, Lord, or one listening who's never been saved, Father, I pray their heart will not grow numb and hard to the gospel, the reality of their soul. God, how you really see them. God, you see through all the fluff. You see through all of the facade that they've built in front of them. You see the real them. God, I pray if there's a person here who's never really been saved, they're lost in their sin, that today would be the day that they choose to respond to your word and God, your will, that they might escape hell and be saved and experience spiritual life now and life more abundantly that can only be found in Christ. And God, I do pray if there's a believer here who is backslid, who's out of fellowship with you. They're not where they need to be spiritually. God, I pray that they'll return. I pray they'll experience today a new beginning that can only be found in Jesus Christ. Speak through your word to us. Challenge us. The message, God, that transcends all time, those biblical principles, might your Holy Spirit make application to our life today. And we respond during a time of invitation. It's in Jesus' precious 
In his holy name we pray and ask these things. Amen. And I'll invite you to please be seated. Remember that we shared with you last week from the book of Haggai. We've been looking through the study of the Minor Prophets to major dates. And those again are 722 B.C. That's when God judged the northern kingdom of Israel. And then 586 B.C. is when he finally judged the southern kingdom because of their two main sins. Perversion of the worship of the one true God. They didn't love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength anymore. And oppression of the poor. They didn't love their neighbors themselves. And the prophets, as we saw Zechariah remind them today, they challenged, they spoke, they prophesied, they called the people to repent. But they only hardened their hearts against the word of God and against the will of God. In 586 B.C., through the country of Babylon, God judged the southern kingdom. And off to Babylon they went several years after that. The Medo-Persian Confederacy defeated Babylon, and now Persia is in charge of the world. But in 538 B.C., Darius made a decree, king of Persia, through the inspiration of God, the movement of God upon his life, that the Jews could begin to return to Jerusalem. There was an express commission, you'll remember, that was shared last week from the book of Haggai. They were to rebuild the temple. Temple worship was to begin again. And the book of Ezra details that. And we saw how the foundation of the book of Ezra began to be laid. And there was a mixed multitude, if you will, or a mixed uh, a group of responses to the laying of the foundation. The younger generation began to shout and were gleeful over what had happened. But the older generation, who remembered the Bible says the former glory of the temple, they began to cry. But there was such excitement, there was a spirit of worship, that the Bible says you couldn't discern uh, the cries from the shouts. And it could be heard from miles away. But then there began to be a little hardship, a little difficulty that came into the life of those who had returned, the, the, the neighbors who had lived there. They didn't like that the temple was being rebuilt because Ephesians 6 says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. There we face an enemy daily. And Satan was working through those individuals. And because of the hardship, the people quit building the temple. But listen, we remind you last week, I remind you again, they didn't stop building the temple because they weren't committed to the building project. They stopped building the temple because they weren't committed to God. And so 16 years have passed since they began that rebuilding. And a contemporary of Haggai is Zechariah. He was much younger than Haggai. And he begins through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and the message that God gives him to encourage the people and to challenge them to seize the spiritual opportunity that's before them. God has given them the opportunity to have a fresh start, to begin a new beginning with God. And friend, I want you to know those same, those same opportunities that existed for, the, for Israel and that remnant that returned uh, in, in 520, they, they exist for us today. Those same spiritual opportunities for people here today to leave past sin, past failure, even past success. Listen to me. Past success can be an idol. You can sit in glory in the achievements of yesterday and fail to seize and be faithful to the opportunities that God is giving you today. So today, embrace a new beginning in Christ. Four truths that had to be reality in their lives and must be in our lives if we're going to experience a new beginning in Christ. Truth number one, repentance is necessary. Repentance is necessary. That's what Zechariah and that's what Haggai were calling the people to do. Look what verse number 2 says of Zechariah chapter 1. The Bible says, The Lord has been very angry with your fathers. Well, why was God angry with them? 
What, what justified this response against them? Well, look at verse number 4. He says, Do not be like your fathers to whom the former prophets preached, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Turn now from your evil ways, from your deeds. But they did not hear nor heed me. Again, those two major sins. A perversion of the worship of the one true God, oppression of the poor. That's why God was angry with them. And how did that work out? Verse number 5. Your fathers, where are they now? Well, many of them were dead. Some had returned, but they had all experienced God's judgment. The prophets who had preached to them, did they live forever? No, they didn't. The, the message that they preached and the opportunity that, that they had shared with them, that had stopped, and then judgment came. And the prophet was trying to remind them, don't miss the opportunity to experience God's grace and the new start like your father's misplaced and pushed away. It didn't work out well for them. Yet surely my words and my statutes, which I command my servants and my prophets, he says, did they not overtake your fathers? Literally, Zechariah's trying to say, they, they tried to run from my word. They tried to run from the judgment. Say, so we'll just live past this. They're, they're, so, they're so negative. A passage of Scripture we shared uh, the other night, on Wednesday night, uh, was uh, from Second Chronicles, where Ahab uh, began to have a confederacy with Jehoshaphat. And he's from the southern kingdom, moved to the north to make a confederacy, even though he shouldn't have made that. But as Jehoshaphat began to, to, to spend time with King Ahab, Jehoshaphat said, is there, not a, is there not a prophet that we can talk to who can, who can give us a sure certain word from God whether we should go launch this military campaign that you want to do. And you remember, those of you who were here on Wednesday night, you remember what Ahab said? He says, well, there is a prophet. He said, his name is Micaiah. And he says, but I don't like him because he never prophesies good concerning me. He says, I don't like what he says because it's not positive. It never fits in line with the direction that I've chosen that my life should go. And that's what the people did to all the prophets that God said. They, they, they didn't like the message repent because they liked the direction that they were going. But friend, listen, still yet the word of God overtook them. And friend, God's word will always come to pass. If the Bible says the wages of sin is death and the soul that sins shall surely die, friend, at some point you will draw your last breath. And if you've not trusted Christ, hell is where you'll spend eternity. The Bible says there's a judgment seat which every believer must stand before and give an account for how we've lived our lives. At some point, friend, that judgment seat will come and you will stand and you'll give an account to the Lord Jesus Christ for what you've done with as he's commanded you to be a steward over your life and the resources that he has given you. He says, my, my word overtook them. He says, so in light of all that, in light of that you stand here, 16 years after you've began this building project, he says, God's given you this opportunity for a new start, but you've turned away from that. Verse 3, therefore God says, say to the nation of Israel, look at it, look at your Bibles, thus says the Lord of hosts, return to me. He says, and I'll return to you. God was telling them, you may be living in the city of God, and you may be, or you were working on the house of God, he says, but we're out of fellowship. For now, I want to remind you, even for the saved, when you have unrepented sin in your life, it separates you from God. You don't lose your salvation, but you're out of fellowship. Psalm 66, verse 18. God won't hear your prayers. Isaiah 59, 2. Sin separates you from fellowship with God. But God says, return to me. You want to experience a new beginning? Repentance is the first step. It's the beginning. It's where it's the very first step toward a new beginning with God. They had turned from devotion and commitment to God 
and to devotion and commitment to self. And friend, listen to me. That is the norm today. And that's the lordship that's being preached in most churches today. Because that's what keeps people coming. And I say that over and over again because that's what you're going to hear in a lot of secular Christian music. That's what you're going to hear on a lot of radio talk. And friend, I'm just telling you, that is not the surrender and that's not the disciple that Jesus says we're to be in the New Testament. And what we preach and teach, friend, it's abnormal now, but the Bible says it's to be normal, a life separated to Christ's lordship. That means one dies to self, we lay our life aside, and we submit ourselves to whatever his will is for our life. They'd stepped away from that. And they were living for themselves so much so they'd stopped building on the building. Haggai chapter 1 verse 4 says they were building paneled houses. They used the resources, the lumber and the logs and all the things that God had given them to build the temple. They'd built themselves big houses. So they were living fat and happy, and they were out of fellowship with God now as a result of it. And friend, don't forget, they'd just been on a little 70-year vacation because of that. We talk about hard-headed. Friend, I want to talk to you about graciousness. The grace of God that he would give them another opportunity to have a fresh new beginning with him. What grace, what love God was giving them this opportunity to begin again. Failure to build, it was just symptomatic of a greater problem. You see, obedience, it's a heart issue. It's not really just a hand and a foot and a body issue. It's a heart issue. Zechariah chapter 1 and verse 1 says, In the eighth month, of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah. So this was the eighth month of Darius's reign. Well, look on the next page in Haggai chapter 2 and verse number 10, where Haggai begins to preach and says, on the 24th day of the ninth month. So Haggai has a message for the people. Now, stay with me. On the ninth month, Zechariah's began to preach in the eighth month. Well, in Haggai chapter 2, verses 10 through 14, Haggai begins to tell them through the inspiration of God that even though they had begun to build on the temple, even though they had, great, had this great shouting service uh, where everybody was just so happy that the foundation had been laid, but 16 years later, nobody was doing anything. Look at verse number 14 of Haggai chapter 2. It's just right there on the next page. Haggai said, God says, so is this people, so is this nation before me, says the Lord, so is every work of their hands that what they offer is unclean. They become an unclean people before God. And so one month later, Zechariah is calling the people to repent from this unclean state. They've turned away from the Lord. They're not honoring the Lord anymore. Why? Because their heart was wrong before God. Matthew chapter 15, verses 18 through 20. Jesus says this, But those things which proceed from the mouth come from the heart. They defile a man. From out of the heart proceedeth evil thoughts, murderings, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. Literally, make him unclean in the sight of God. But to eat with unwashed hands doesn't defile a man. That's what the Pharisees were concerned about. The outside. They were just, just, just whitewash it. Just, just, just put a good coat of whitewash on the outside of it. No matter what it's like inside, just as long as everybody else thinks it's clean. And God says, I see through all the facade. I see through all the religious experience. God says, I see the heart. And the reason you are the way you are, God says, is because 
of your heart. The reason, don't miss this, the reason the nation of Israel, the southern kingdom, the remnant of return, had stopped working on the temple and were focused on their own lives was because of their heart. They didn't love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. They loved me, me, and me. That's who they loved. That's who they worshiped. And that's why Zechariah said to them, that's why Haggai said they needed to repent. They needed a new beginning. That's why in Psalm 51 and verse 10, after Nathan the prophet's come to David, after he had Uriah the Hittite murdered, now he's taken his wife Bathsheba. He's had a child illegitimately with her. And Nathan the prophet came and began to share with him. And David judged on another man without looking at his own heart. And, David, and Nathan said, you're the man. You're, you're the guy who's committed sin. You're the one who's out of fellowship. God's hand was heavy upon David day and night, and the Spirit of God convicted him. But listen, David had to choose to turn from the sin and experience a new beginning with God. And you remember in Psalm 51, in verse number 10, this was his, this was his prayer. Not God wash the outside. Not God give me a new reputation. Not God help the people to start looking at me in a different way. He prayed, he said, God create a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. David recognized, friend, that the real need he had was to have a new heart, a new heart like God. And friend, listen, this is the same David that in 1 Samuel 13, verse 14, when the kingdom was stripped away from Saul, God said, I have a man who has a heart just like me who I'm going to call to be king. This was a man who God said had a heart like him, but something had happened, and now he knows he needs a new heart. In the beginning of experiencing that new beginning with God that David needed and that Israel needed now, and listen to me, if you've never been saved or you're out of fellowship with God that you need, the beginning of that is repentance. It's repentance. It's to turn back to God. Verse number 3, therefore says the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, return to me and I will return to you. Remember those three words that we shared several months ago that sum up repentance? That's to concur, confess, and then change. To concur with God. Friend, listen, if God says it's sin, it's sin. And I know that we're living in a day, not, listen, not just in the lost world, but inside many quote-unquote churches. Things the Bible says is wrong, people are saying they're okay. And friend, I want to remind you, the Bible says it's wrong, it's wrong. The Bible says it's right, it's right. It's forever settled in heaven. It'll always be wrong, it'll always be right. When the Spirit of God convicts you that you've sinned, or the Word of God says that what you've done, said, or not done, or not said, is wrong, then friend, it's wrong. And you're never going to enter back into a right relationship with God until you quit kicking the can, giving excuses, getting people around you to help, help sure up your decision to make it right. If the Bible says it's wrong, it's wrong. If the Bible says it's right, it's right. You have to first concur with God. You have to agree with His Word. And then you have to confess it. And by that, friend, it's this. You can't blame other people. Remember, David said, God against you and you only. Have I sinned? Psalm 51. Forgive me of my transgressions. He didn't say, you know, well, God, Bathsheba, you shouldn't have made her so beautiful. You know, I just, I was just walking on the roof, you know, and God, she was just so pretty, I couldn't help myself. It's really, it's her, it's her fault. It's Uriah's fault that he was at Bath. No, friend, when you and I sin, it's nobody's fault but ours. And I, again, I realize we're living in America, the land of the offended, Everything that's wrong with somebody, it's the teacher's fault, the government's fault, or somebody else's fault. It's never, never mind fault. 
Friend, I'm t- if you sin, you're never going to be in a right relationship with God until you concur and then you confess, God, I did this. Forgive me. And it's a heart that truly wants to change, to be different, to be cleansed, to be clean, to not be the person that you were, but to be who you can be and only who you can be in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. And then that brings about change. Luke 3, 8, John the Baptist preached a message of repentance. But you remember what he said? As the crowds were coming and everybody's like, oh, what's trending? Oh, baptism's trending. Hashtag baptism. Where are you going? Oh, we're being baptized. There's this cool guy out in the wilderness, man, and he's dressed in this camel hair. Tunic. Oh, camel hair's in right now. And he's eating locusts and wild honey. Oh, here, that's good for your cholesterol. Oh, let's, let's all go out there. And then he's got the most, the coolest message. He keeps saying, repent, and then you get to be baptized. Baptized, yeah, let's all be baptized. We're disciples now. Praise the Lord. We've got in line, we've got in line. And, and John the Baptist, with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, saw this. He said, it's not about the water. It's a symbol only of what has happened in your heart as you've surrendered to Christ's Lordship. He says, and the evidence is going to be this, that you bear fruits worthy of repentance. He says, if you've really changed, your life's going to show, it's not going to be invisible. Someone says, well, you know, you don't know what's in my heart. Friend, I don't, but I'll tell you who does, and that's God Almighty. He sees. When you say, Lord Jesus, forgive me a sinner, he knows whether you mean it. When he says, I surrender to your lordship, he knows. You can't fool God. Israel couldn't fool God, and you can't fool God. And that's why we confess our sin, we concur with God, and then, friend, the evidence will be there will be a changed life. Change is not invisible. Change is not invisible. And so the first step that needed to take place was repentance. The same is true today. Repentance is necessary. It's the first step toward a new beginning. Always it begins with repentance. Thus, you say, well, is that just your opinion? Look at verse 3, friend. Thus says the Lord. That's what God says. The first step toward a renewed relationship or beginning relationship It's about repentance, turning from the old life to Christ. Now listen, John 14, 6, Jesus says God initiates that. You can't work it up. You can't scheme it. You can't make the mood right. You can't talk somebody into it. What you can talk somebody into, what I can talk you into, somebody else will talk you out of. But God initiates salvation, John 14, 6. It's the Holy Spirit that does that. But friend, we choose how we respond. Luke 13, 3, Jesus said, except you repent, you'll all likewise perish. Jesus says it's the first step. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word. The word tells us who we are and how to be saved, how to respond. But the response to return is marked by those same words that it was years ago, friend. Concur, confess, and change. And if you're here today, listen to me. And you've never been saved, you never will be until you first repent. Only the Spirit of God can bring conviction upon your life for the true reality of your soul, your lostness before Christ. But you must agree with the Word of God, not me. You must confess that you're a sinner. And friend, the evidence will be there'll be change as by faith you turn to Christ and submit to His Lordship. Repentance is necessary. Number two, righteousness is needed. Righteousness is needed. They stood there unclean before God. That's what Haggai concluded his message with telling them. That's what Zechariah was trying to tell them. They were unclean before God. And so God speaks to Zechariah through a vision. 
Uh, verse number 3, he begins to, to speak to them about a vision he saw uh, concerning Joshua, uh, the high priest, and how filthy he was before the Lord. Now, I just want to pause and say this. Listen, in the Old Testament, God spoke through dreams. God spoke through visions. Uh, he, the people didn't have the completed word that we have today. But friend, listen, in the day in which we're living, God does not speak through visions and dreams. He speaks through his word. He speaks through the voice, the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. The Bible says, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets has in these days spoken to us by his Son. 2 Peter chapter 1 and in verse number 20. The Bible, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20. Uh, let me get to it. The Bible says this, knowing this, that no prophecy of Scripture is by any private interpretation. Listen, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The word that you have before you, God breathed through men, and they either spoke or they wrote it down. We have it recorded for us today. But in Revelation chapter 22 and in verse 21, when John the Baptist, exiled on the Isle of Patmos, had that last vision. Friend, listen to me very carefully. When he said, Amen, that was it. That was it. The word that we... That means you're never going to know anything about God that you cannot find in his word or in the person or the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible goes on to speak this in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 23. Now listen to me. We're talking about visions and dreams because Zechariah's going to have one. In Jeremiah 23 and verse number 25, God said part of the problem that the nation of Israel had was that they listened to false prophets. He said, I've heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name. Listen, I have dreamed. I have dreamed. He says, how long will this be in the heart of the prophets who prophesy? Indeed, they are prophets of the deceit of their own heart who try to make my people forget my name by their dreams, which they tell everyone and tells their neighbor uh, as their fathers forgot my name. Verse number 32, he says, Behold, I'm against those who prophesy false dreams, says the Lord. And so I just want to encourage you, friend. I can't listen to me. Look up here. The Bible clearly teaches in the New Testament that if you want to hear a word from God in the day in which we're living, turn to His Word, study the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, and listen to the voice, the still small voice of the Holy Spirit as He brings to mind, 1 Corinthians 2.14, the Word of God. God in these days with the completed canon of Scripture does not speak through visions and dreams. If you understand that, say amen. But the Lord was speaking to Zechariah through a vision because the canon of Scripture had not been fulfilled, trying to help them see that righteousness is needed. Verse 1 of Zechariah chapter 3. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. And he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, 
Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with, with rich robes. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head, and they put on the clothes on him, and the angel of the Lord stood by. What's happening here? Zechariah sees a vision, and Joshua represents all the people who stand before God now unclean, in their service before the Lord. Well, they'd built on the temple 16 years ago, but now they stand before the Lord unclean in their works. Repentance is necessary. They need to turn from that sin, but now they need the fresh righteousness of God to rest upon their lives. Remember Exodus chapter 19, verse number 6. It's such an important verse as we look at the nation of Israel and their covenant responsibilities to God. God said to the nation of Israel, you will be a kingdom of priests unto me. They were to be, as we are Christians, royal ambassadors for Christ. We are to represent him, how we live, how we speak, where we go at all times. But they couldn't represent him if they were unclean. In chapter 3, verse 3, says they were guilty. Look at it. Now Joshua clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Friend, that was a fact. That was situationally, that's how they stood before God. They were filthy in uncleanness, in sin, and unrighteousness before God. Romans chapter 3, that's a good verse to write down beside that passage of Scripture. Romans chapter 3 and verse number 19 says this. Now we know that whatever the law says... It says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and the world may become guilty before God. What's that saying? What's the Apostle Paul saying in Romans chapter 3 and verse 19? It says, friend, the law is a schoolmaster. When I got up this morning, I went to the mirror. I looked, I saw all the matter that was on my eyes. I saw spit that had rolled down my face last night. My hair was all up like a rooster on this side. Listen, the mirror tells the truth. It shows me who I really am. Now, I can wake up, you know, thinking I just look like a million bucks, but when I look in the mirror, like, I don't look like a million. I, matter of fact, I look like I'm in debt, like I'm in the red. The mirror tells the truth. And listen, when you look in the law of God, friend, it tells you who we are. We all stand, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We, we all stand condemned before God. And when we sin, friend, we, we look to God's Word, and the Word says, that's you, that's who we are. And that means there's no excuse. There's no well buts. I knew a guy one time, as a member of our church, it doesn't matter what passage of Scripture you talk about, he goes, he'd go, well, well, but now. There's, there's no buts. There's no well buts. If the Bible says you're condemned, you're condemned. If the Bible says you're guilty, you're guilty. Verse number 19, that all the world may become guilty before God, every mouth shall be stopped. No talking. The Word says we're guilty. And that's what God was telling the nation of Israel in Zechariah chapter 3, verse 3. Joshua was standing before God in filthy garments. They had become unclean. And what they needed now was to be cleansed. They needed righteousness. And our accuser, Revelation 20, 12 and verse number 10, the accuser of the brethren, Satan is there in this vision standing before God and he, before the angel of the Lord. And he says, hey, look, he's guilty. You know, Satan's the guy who when tempts you to sin and says you'll never get caught. And then when you do sin, says, look what you did. You'll never get away with it now. That's the double whammy. 
And so here he is, the accuser of the brethren. But look what the Bible says in verse number 2. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? And so Satan was sitting there saying, Ah, look at Joshua. Look at the nation of Israel. They're not too holy now. And Jesus says, Look, those are my people. I redeemed them out of Egypt. I gave them my covenant. I brought them back from Babylon. I'm the one that's given them a purpose. And friend, that's how you and I stand positioned before Jesus Christ. Satan can point his finger at us as children of God. And even when we sin, friend, Jesus says, they need to be cleansed. But that's my child. I redeemed them with an outstretched hand. I picked them up from the fires of hell. I've set them on a rock and established them going. I declared them clean even though they're not unclean right now. They're my child. They're indwelt by my spirit and they're sealed to the day of redemption. Praise his holy name. We belong to the Lord. What God hath cleansed, call thou not unclean. And so the Bible says that God cleansed Joshua. Look at verse 4, chapter 3. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood behind him, saying, because he was in need of righteousness, take away the filthy garments from him. See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. He says, I'm giving him a fresh start. He was unclean, now I'm going to cleanse him. He's repented. Now he needs a fresh touch of my righteousness upon his life. He's going to have a new beginning. That's why the Bible says in Romans chapter 13, verse 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. This friend, when you repent and you trust Christ, you no longer have to stand in the rags of your sin, but you can stand in the holy white garments of Christ's righteousness. You can experience a new beginning in him because righteousness is necessary. Philippians chapter 3 and in verse number 9, the Apostle Paul said these words concerning his own walk. He says, and, and praise God that I can be found in him, not having my own righteousness. And remember, the Apostle Paul is probably the greatest Christian that ever lived. But Paul says, I'm not dependent upon my righteousness. I'm found not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Repentance is necessary, but friend, righteousness is needed. And so when we turn from sin and we trust Christ, and once we have sinned, or if we have sinned, once we've been saved, when we repent of that sin, God touches us and cleanses us again, and he doesn't see our sin. He only sees the righteousness of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 30. The apostle Paul wrote to the troubling church at Corinth. He says, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. It's only from Jesus Christ, friend, that you can receive that righteousness that when God looks at you, he doesn't see the you that you used to be. He doesn't see the sin that you've committed. He doesn't see the thoughts that you thought. He only sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. We receive his righteousness by faith at salvation. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. The Apostle Paul says that as we respond to God's grace, as we respond to the call of the Holy Spirit and we repent, verse 9, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Listen, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Don't raise your hand, but any of you ever done anything you just totally ashamed of? Satan still tries to bring it to your attention sometimes just to steal your joy. Friend, I want to remind you, if you've trusted Christ 
and you've repented, you've concurred, you've confessed. Friend, there's been change, not that brings about salvation, but change as a result of true salvation. I want you to know, friend, that failure, it's under the blood. It's under the blood. He has chosen to remember our sins, praise the Lord, no more. It's under the blood. When God sees you, he doesn't see that act. He doesn't see that failure. He doesn't see that mistake. He sees the righteousness and the holiness of his son, Jesus Christ. Praise God for that. Friend, I'm, listen, a bottle won't give you that. A pill can't give you that. A group can't give you that. A following can't get nothing can give you that, friend, but a personal saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Nothing. When we sin, we have an advocate. 1 John chapter Two, verse number one says this, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may know if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is a propitiation for our sins, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. Praise the Lord. Repentance is necessary. Righteousness is needed. But number three, if you're going to experience a new beginning in Jesus Christ, running through is necessary. I'll get to it in just a minute. Running through is necessary. Look what the Bible says in chapter 4 of Zechariah and in verse number 1. The Bible says, Now the angel who talked with me, he came back and he wakened me. Some of you need to do that this morning. Look at your neighbor and wake him up right now. Now the angel who talked with me came back and wakened me as a man who is wakened out of his sleep. Now listen, verse 2. And he said to me, What do you see? And so I said, I am looking, and there is a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it, and on the stand seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps, and two olive trees are by it, one at the right hand of the bowl and the other that's on the left. Well, what is it that he saw? He saw a lampstand that was there, and coming up from the lampstand, there was a platform, and there were seven lamps, and there were pipes, if you will, running from these two olive trees that were a constant supply of oil for the lamp. That was the power. There was a light, but the light couldn't be there. There would be no power without the oil. Remember that oil is a type of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. In verse number 6, God declares, he says, so he answered and he said to me, uh, he begins to ask me, what are these things that you see? And he says, this is the message you need to share with the people, and especially Zerubbabel. He answered and said unto me, verse 6 of chapter 4, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. The accomplishment of getting these people back to work, the fulfillment, the fight against flesh, the turn away from a self-focused life, it's not going to be through human effort. Or because you just pull yourself up by your bootstrings. Or it's just in your family not to be a quitter. He says, if whatever you're going to accomplish spiritually, he says, you're not going to accomplish it by any other power except by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what he's telling you. He says, you failed in your own power. God says, what I'm going to accomplish through you, it's not by might nor by your power, but it's by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. The power that Zerubbabel needed to be who and accomplish what God had called him to it came from God, and it came from God alone. And he and they would be dependent upon a constant feeling, a constant running through of the Spirit of God upon their life. Then remember John 14, 6. 
It's the Spirit of God who drew you to salvation. Someone says, well, I found God. You, you did no such thing. God wasn't lost. He found you. You weren't looking for him, but he came looking for you. And he drew you to salvation. He initiated that. It was the Holy Spirit who did that. John chapter 16, verse 8, God, Christ says, it's the Holy Spirit that will convict of sin and of righteousness, judgment to come. Only the Holy Spirit can, can, can convict you of how sinful you are and how the need that you stand in to have a right relationship with him, of, of, of judgment that's going to come upon your life. And you're, again, uh, point number two, your need for Christ's righteousness. Only the Holy Spirit can do that, can make that bit of God's Word come alive and give you a measure of faith that you've got to choose to act upon. Friend, you must choose to turn and surrender your life to Christ's Lordship. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word. You have to choose to respond to the Word. Luke 13, 3, you've got to repent. Romans 10, 19, you've got to choose to confess Christ as Lord. But Titus 3, 5 says this, Listen. It's not that you started a work in yourself and you've been building yourself up in the Lord. Titus 3, 5 says it's the Holy Spirit of God that regenerated you. He's the one that brought about that John 3. John 3, 7, Jesus says you must be born again. It's, it's, it's Titus 3, 5 says it's the Holy Spirit who saw you born again into the family of God. He did that. John 16, 7 says the Holy Spirit's your new companion. When you get saved, listen, it's not your mother, it's not your dog, it's the Holy Spirit of God that's to be your best friend. He is the best friend you'll ever have, John 16, 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 22, it's the Holy Spirit of God that seals us until the day of redemption. We're sealed. You belong to Him. Colossians 3, 3, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And friend, if Satan could get to you to cause to drag you out of salvation, he'd end up getting saved because he'd have to come through the blood of Jesus Christ to get to you. Isn't that great this morning? Praise the Lord. It's the Holy Spirit who does that. Now listen. Acts 1-8, prior to his ascension, Jesus said, you shall be my witnesses. You're to start where you're at, then you're to branch out to Samaria, then you're to continue branching out and to go to the othermost parts of the world. I'm giving you a mission to be witnesses. But what you need to accomplish that mission is power. You know what we told Jerubal? Not by might, not by strength, but it's by my power. It's by me. It's by I'm the one that's going to give you what you need to fulfill my mission. It's by my spirit. And Jesus says you're to wait. You're to tarry because I'm going to send you power. In Acts chapter 2 verses 1 through 4, listen friend, the power came on. You ever been without power after a storm for several days? I know some of you have that had tornado damage and others. You know, you've been without power for just a while. And then, and then all of a sudden, you've forgotten what light switches you turned off and which ones you haven't. You forgot what lavatories you're on and they're on. And all of a sudden, Whoosh, you hear the air come through the pipes, the whoom, the refrigerator turns on, the air conditioning starts turning. And man, the power came on. Isn't that wonderful when that happens? Well, friend, listen, on the day of Pentecost, the power came on. There was a, a mighty wind that came through. Something happened to the people. There was change that had taken place. What, what was it? The Holy Spirit showed up. Now they were indwelt, friend. The Spirit of God lived on the inside. They were sealed, and now they had the power that they needed to fulfill what God had called them to do. And that's why Ephesians 5, 18 says, Be not drunk with wine, where's excess, but be what? Filled with the Spirit. All right, you've been wondering why I brought my little can. You've been looking at the whole service. At least you saw something today. All right. 
I want you to imagine with me, all right, that this bucket is you, all right? Can you see me? I can see you. Can you see me? All right, so both ends are off of the bucket. Now, imagine with me, running from your left to your right is a river, okay? Right here is the top of the river. If I take this bucket that has no ends on it, and I put it down in underneath the surface, is it filled with water? Yes or no? Only time I'm asking you to talk, yes or no? It's filled. There's water in there, okay? But is it continuously being filled? No. Because water rushes over the top here, and water rushes under the bottom. It's the same water that was in there when I started. It becomes stagnant. But if I turn it like this, it's constantly being filled. Water's in it. It's indwelt. But now it's constantly being filled. That's what Ephesians 5.18 says. Be not drunk with wine where it's excess, but be filled. Keep on being filled. Listen, the moment you trusted Christ, you were indwelt by the Holy Spirit. He began to live inside of you. But to experience the power that you need in ministry, friend, you need a constant, fresh feeling of the Holy Spirit. Listen, he's a person. He doesn't come in parts. There's no second baptism. You get one feeling of the Holy Spirit. You are indwelt, but you're to constantly be filled. There's to be freshness in your life. How do we experience the freshness? Paul's talking about Ephesians 5.18, this constant running through of the Holy Spirit that they needed and we need. You get that, friend. Listen, one, being saved, indwelt, but two, responding daily in obedience to the will of God and the Word of God. If you don't respond to the will of God and the Word of God, friend, you become stagnant. You become separated from God, and you need a fresh feeling of the Holy Spirit. That's the constant feeling that we need. It's, it's a reality through total surrender to God's Word and God's will. And I'm telling you, friend, what we accomplish in ministry that lasts, it won't be done through gimmicks. It won't be done through scheming. It's only done through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you, friend, a lot of churches are scheming and trying gimmicks to see people saved and committed. They say, what are you talking about? Listen, do you know the reason that most churches now have turned the lights down and put all these colored lights everywhere? Do you know that? It's psychological. You can find websites, friend, that will help you set the mood in the worship center. I'm telling you. Go and look it up. You can, you can, there, there are helps. They'll try. To, so you fix the lights a certain way so, so it gets people in, in the right mood for worship. Well, friend, what I can mood you into, somebody else can mood you. Somebody will step on your toe and you'll be out of the mood by the time we leave. Friend, we're not trying to get anybody in any kind of mood. We're just trying to preach the Word of God and pray that you'll respond to the Spirit of God and His perfect will will be done in your life. That's it. We're dependent upon the Holy Spirit and Him alone to speak to your heart and to challenge you and then for you to respond. But, I mean, if we turn the lights down, turn the heat up, that's not going to cause anybody to really get saved. Remember in Luke chapter 16, the rich man cried to Father Abraham. He says, would you, would you send Lazarus back? And, and let him tell, I've got brothers that haven't been saved. He said, the one came from the dead, they still wouldn't believe. He says, they have Moses and they have the prophets. What's that mean? That says, all we need to accomplish ministry is the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. Not gimmicks and games. So don't rely on that. Don't try that. All we need is the filling and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in Him alone. Verse 6. Not by might, 
nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And then number four, realization is non-negotiable. Realization is non-negotiable. What am I talking about by realization? Obedience. The word of God becoming a reality in your life. Look at chapter 7, verse number 1, very quickly. Now in the fourth year of King Darius, it came to pass that the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month of Chislev, when the people sent Sherezer with Regiment Melech of his men to the house of the Lord to pray before the Lord and to ask the priests who were in the house of the Lord of hosts, the prophets saying, now listen, should I weep in the fifth month and fast as I've done for many years? Then the word of the Lord of the hosts came to me saying, Say to the people of the land of the priests, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months during those 70 years. Now listen, did you really fast for me? For me? Look at verse 5. God says, when you, when you were doing that fasting, when you were going through this religious procedure, He says, did you really fast for me? For me? When, when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat and drink for yourselves? Should you not have obeyed the words which the Lord proclaimed through the former prophets when Jerusalem and the cities around it were inhabited and prosperous and the south and the lowland were inhabited? Verse 8, thus, the, then the word of the Lord came to Zechariah saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, execute true justice, true justice. Show mercy and compassion, everyone, to his brother. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. Let none of you plan evil in his heart against your brother. Listen to verse 11. But they refused to heed. They shrugged their shoulders, stopped their ears so they could not hear. Yes, they made their hearts like a flint, refusing to hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts had sent through his spirit, through the former prophets. Thus great wrath came upon them from the Lord of hosts. What's God saying? He's saying obedience to his word is non-negotiable. Friend, we're living in a day where people think, you know, if I'm just joined to a church or I'm religious, man, then I'm good with God. And friend, listen, that's not the greatest way to worship God, friend, is to be obedient to his word. That's what God desires. Jesus says, why well, call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I command you. Jesus says, you can't call me Lord of your life if you won't even obey what I've called you to do. 1 Samuel chapter 15, in verse number 10. Remember, the kingdom had already been stripped from Saul, but God had given him another mission. It was an opportunity for Saul to experience faithfulness to the Lord. And, but he spared King Agag. He spared the best of the sheep. He spared the best of the oxen. And Samuel was sent by God to go and challenge and to rebuke Saul. And Samuel came and as he began, he, he looked towards Saul. And Saul, verse number 13, or 1 Samuel 15, says, I've performed the commandment of the Lord. Well, that was a lie. And then so that Samuel said, well, why is this I hear the bleating of sheep and the lowing of oxen? You say you killed everything, but that sounds like the, noise, the sound of disobedience to me. And then he says, well, the people kept the best of the animals back so we could sacrifice to God. That's, that's why we've disobeyed. Don't miss this. We've disobeyed so that we could honor God through worship. We're going to sacrifice all these things to God. Now listen to what God said through Samuel in verse number 22. He says, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Listen. 
Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fatter ends. What's God saying? He says, behold, to obey God's word, it's better than to raise your hand through a hundred song services and say, praise the Lord. God says, if you don't obey my word, all the praising vocally, all the hand raising, whatever you do religious, he says, it means nothing to me. Your sister, it would be like if your husband told you but daily cheated on you with another woman. And you knew about it. But he just continued to come to you and says, I love you. Or, sir, if your wife did that, she said, sweetie pie, you're my number one. I appreciate you so much. Now I'm going down to see my boyfriend. God says, that's what that's like in my ears. You tell me you love me, you praise my name, but you won't even obey my word. You won't do what I've said to do. Can I really praise God if I won't live on mission? Can I really praise God and can I, I really say that He's Lord of my life if daily I won't even read His Word and spend time in prayer? If I won't discover my spiritual gift? If I refuse to serve? If I refuse to forgive someone who has done me wrong and harbor hate? in my heart and in my life against that person? Can I really say Jesus is Lord of my life if I won't obey? And the answer is no. That's why God said to them, obedience, realization of God's Word, obedience to God's Word, it's non-negotiable. There's no, can, can I counter-offer? Can I counter you on that, God? No, friend, there's no counter. What God has said to do, we're to do. What God has said we're not to do, we're not to do. It's non-negotiable. And you will never walk in the fullness of God's best without total obedience to His Word. And you may find a lot of places to sit there in the shade tree. They'll tell you there's things you don't have to do or things you should do that the Bible said you shouldn't do. But you'll never walk in the fullness of the Spirit and experience God's best if your life is not in line with His Word. You're not being obedient. It just won't happen. James 1.22, not just to know it. A lot of people think knowing self-deception. Don't be merely hearers deceiving yourselves, but we're to be doers. We're to be doers. Realization is non-negotiable. You know, I love spring of the year for so many reasons. The little birdies of the morning. Don't you love to hear the little birds of the morning? They just... They're just so excited. They don't know what's going on anywhere else in the world. It's just a new day. They're the same every day. That's the way we ought to be, just praising the Lord, studying His Word. Praise the Lord, it's another day. But one of the things I love is that there is a visible expression of a new beginning. Now, I shared last week the daffodils. That My dad dug up some daffodils from back where I grew up and brought them down. Then my daughter and her nana, they planted them. And those just come out. I love to see those come out of the ground. I love to see the visible expression of a new beginning. You know, last night, we sprang ahead. I know it hurts a little bit, but it's part of spring. We spring ahead. Listen to me. Do you need a new beginning this morning? Do you need one? Why not spring ahead into a new beginning with Jesus Christ? It begins with Repentance. You need Christ's righteousness imputed to your life. You need that. You, you, your life must be running through with the Holy Spirit, friend, and the Word of God must be reality in your life. Spring ahead in that new relationship right now. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Would you be honest? Be honest with God and yourself. Do that right now. Anyone listening, be honest with yourself. Be honest with God right now. 
If you died today, are you 100% certain you'd go to heaven? 100% certain. 1 John 5.13 says you can know that you've been saved. Not hope so or guess so. You can have full assurance through his word that you've repented and trusted Christ. And then on that basis and what he's done for you and how you respond to his grace that you've been saved. There's never been a moment where you've chosen to repent and trust Christ. Do that right now. Experience a new beginning in life, friend, that you can only find in Christ. Concur, confess. Tell God who you really are and what you want. And he'll take you as you are. That's his grace. And he'll change you and he'll make you into a new person. It's a gift. Romans 6.23 says that you have to choose to receive by faith. Just tell him so right now, wherever you are. Pray just like this. But mean it from your heart. God, forgive me, a sinner. That's me. I've done this. I've lived the way I've lived. I've spoken the way I've spoken. I've made the decisions I've made. I've lived the life I've lived because of me. I agree that it's sin. God, I don't want this life anymore. I'm asking you to forgive me. Because of what Jesus did at Calvary and dying in my place. Because he's not in that tomb anymore. By faith, I believe that you can save me. And you will save me. Because your word says, if I'll confess you as Lord of my life, you'll come live in my heart and change me. And that's what I want to happen. Forgive me. Come live in me. And be Lord of my life. I want a new beginning in you. If you're here today and you made that decision, just go ahead right now and stand up from your seat and walk over to where Brother Brian's at. No one's going to see you. Just go ahead and step over there. And he wants to pray with you. If you're listening and you've made that decision, call us or write us here at the office because we want to talk to you about that decision. Has there been a better day in your walk with Christ? Be honest. There's been a day where you loved him more than you do today. And friend, experience a new beginning today with Christ. Those same things. Repent today. Ask him to clean you up, put new garments on you today. Leave this place, not with the dirty, defiled garments you came in on, but in a new right relationship with Jesus Christ. Being filled with his spirit, surrendered to his lordship over his life. Not where he's just resident, but he's president. And a new commitment to be obedient to his word. Father, speak to your people. Challenge us. Father, where you find things that are out of line with your word, like you spoke through your prophets of old to your people, speak through your Holy Spirit to us now. And might your perfect will become a reality in our lives as we respond to you and experience a new beginning that can only be found in Jesus Christ. It's in his precious and holy name we pray. Let's reverence stand to our feet. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. No one's looking around. If you need someone to pray with you, Peggy's going to sing. You step out and go to Brother Brian right now. He'll pray with you. Grant me your holiness. Make me devoted deep within. I plead for patience in my trial and more sorrow for my sin. A deeper faith in you, dear Lord, please give me every day.
She's going to sing another verse. You step out right now. Give me more gratitude. Help me to love you even more. And take pride in your glory and trust only in your holy When others grieve and my neighbors see Jesus every time they see me, this is my prayer, Lord, when this day is through,